you open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 14 is where we're going to go today. And here's what you need to know, folks. Here's what you need to know in order to understand chapter 14. In the Bible, okay, a banquet is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the extravagant generosity that God has in store for his people in the age to come. That's what banquets are in the Bible. They're word pictures. It's a picture of of the blessing that everyone will experience who gets to be a part of God's kingdom. That, That kingdom that's coming when Jesus returns and finally finishes everything he started. Did you know that when that day comes, that will be a day of rejoicing, of abundance, of joy, of intimacy with God? the kind of intimacy that you share when someone invites you into their home and you sit at their table? Have you ever been invited to someone's home and they have the gift of hospitality and the second you walk in the room, you realize they have prepared, they have gone out of their way to prepare something really special for me. Do you know that feeling? And you sit down at this feast that they've prepared, okay? I see this, by the way, I get an inside window into this every Wednesday night because my wife hosts the college Bible study in our home. And every Wednesday night, she cooks a home-cooked meal for 15 to 20 college kids. Isn't that amazing? And it's because she loves them. I've even suggested, honey, I'll just call Domino's and we'll order pizzas. And she punches me in the face. No, she doesn't do that. She's like, are you kidding? She's like, they're like my kids. And she just cooks these elaborate meals and she prepares a space. And some of you have that gift of hospitality. So you know what I'm talking about. When, When you invite someone in your home, what do you want them to experience? You want them to feel loved. You want them to feel like they are part of the family. You want them to settle in, take a deep breath. And now you know why Jesus would choose the metaphor of a banquet to describe the heart of God. In the passage we're going to study this morning, Jesus is going to tell a parable about a great banquet, elaborate, abundant, generous. It's a story not just about the banquet, but it's about the heart of the host. It's in Luke 14, starting in verse 15. Will you look at it with me? Here's what happened. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Let me just stop real quick and remind you. So, okay, the context of this moment is we're still at the dinner party. Christopher told us about last Sunday, a Pharisee, a spiritual leader has invited Jesus into his home and there are other Pharisees there and they're all reclining around a dinner table. And one of these guests makes this statement. Blessed are those who eat bread in the kingdom of God. And for whatever reason, this statement triggers Jesus. He does not like this. The statement goes back to what had happened before where Jesus was talking about being blessed at the resurrection and and this Pharisee picks up on that and then he makes this declaration. And the statement itself is completely true. Everyone who, who enjoys God's kingdom will be totally blessed. But there was a heart problem here. 
for whatever reason, Jesus knew this guy's heart is wrong. He was assuming he would be there when here he is, he's a Pharisee. He's sitting in a room with Pharisees and every single one of them is plotting how to kill Jesus. And yet he's assuming he'll spend eternity with God. And so Jesus teaches a parable. Here's what he says. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. We'll talk about it. Um, That's odd. Okay. Um, So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I found in my life that I I regularly marvel at the brilliance of Jesus. I mean, folks, he was brilliant. He was the son of God, so that makes sense. (laughs) But he was the most gifted teacher. Notice what Jesus always does. He never wastes an opportunity in terms of what's happening right in front of him. He'll seize on the context that he's in. Here's Jesus at a banquet, uh, a dinner party, and the host is a Pharisee. This host has gone to a great amount of inconvenience to open his home, to prepare food, to spend money. In Jewish culture, you when you invited people in your home, it was a sign of intimacy. You didn't invite strangers. You invited people that you were fellowshipping with. It was very vulnerable. It was very intimate. This host has opened his home and people have come in and Jesus knows. He knows what it's like to be a host. And so Jesus says, I've got an opportunity to open up a window into the heart of God through a parable about a host. Amazing. And the parable is intended to reveal three things about God's great banquet. Okay, three things. Write these down. My whole sermon will build on these. Number one, the typical human response to the banquet. Number two, the startling reversal of the banquet. An exchange, this this reversal of people who end up there, invitees, startling. So the typical human response, a startling reversal, and finally, the scandalous grace at the banquet. 
And we're supposed to see all three. So number one, the typical human response. And here's what I'm after. I'm after the typical human response in a broken world where our hearts have been broken by sin. What happened? The servant went out. He went out with the second invitation. In this culture, the first invitation went out weeks before, save the date. And the second invitation went out on the day that the food was prepared because they didn't have refrigerators. So they would invite people once the food was ready. And it would have been extremely unheard of to shirk off that second invitation. But what happens? The servant, he goes into the community to each person who's been invited and to his shock, one after one after one says, actually, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to make it. Guest after guest after guest. Actually, I'm not going to be there today. This would have been very shocking. And if you pay attention, which you've already have, these excuses are extremely lame, okay? These are, these are weak sauce. These are like transparently false. No one buys a field if they've not already inspected it. That would be like putting an offer on a house that you never walked through, okay? If you've done that in your life, I'm not making fun of you. But his, you don't do that, right? No one buys oxen without taking them on a test drive because they were expensive. These are weak. These are the kinds of excuses you give to the police officer when you've been pulled over for speeding, right? You, you, you're scrambling for something. I came across a list a couple of years ago. I, I love these lists. This list was called the top 10 funniest excuses cops have ever heard. Okay, because cops, they go to Starbucks afterwards and they like tell the stories of what they've heard. Okay, here, you might want to use a couple of these. I'll just share a few. Not that you're ever going to get pulled over. Here was one. The cop said, did you see the speed limit sign? And the man said, yes, sir. I just didn't see you sitting beside it. <laughs> That's good. Okay. A cop pulls over a guy in the freeway and he goes, you're going pretty fast. And he said, I-84, that's the speed limit, right? <laughs> I'm glad you didn't catch me on 205. That would have been a different thing. <laughs> How about this? A cop, he, he pulls over a young woman and he says, I tagged you doing 53 in a 35. She was very sharp and she was like, oh, that's my dyslexia kicking in again. <laughs> no, don't say that. Don't say that. Or he comes to a man who last week ex accepted an invitation to a banquet, and this week he's married. And the reader's thinking, surely your wife will still be there when the banquet's over, right? Weak excuses. Almost comical. But here's another thing happening in this story. I never saw this before. I never saw this. And yet every commentator points it out. There's something suspicious going on here. Something coordinated. Did you notice in verse 18 what happened? Look at that phrase in the Greek. They all alike began to make excuses. Every last one of them. In the Greek, that phrase can read, they all with one mind or they all with one voice. It, was, it wasn't just one of them. We only get three of the excuses, but in the Greek, it's very clear. Every single person on the invitee list comes up with an excuse. It's very suspicious. 
And actually the guys at the party who heard this would have said, this is a coordinated attack on this guy. They're out to put him to public shame, which is something they did in their culture. I love how one commentator put it. He said, it seems like an unlikely coincidence that the entire guest list suddenly has some pressing 11th hour business that needs attention. This smacks of a conspiracy, a coordinated act of ostracism to inform the host that he's no longer socially acceptable. Let me read that sentence again. A coordinated act of ostracism meant to inform the host that he's no longer socially acceptable. Friends, can I tell you something? In the history of Western culture, if there has ever been a day where God is no longer socially acceptable, that day is today. That day is today. It's amazing. I remember, I remember a pivot that we experienced as a culture. It was right when I came to River West, 2006, 2007, and this flood of books came out by a group of of scholars. They called themselves the New Atheists. Maybe you remember these books. They all came out in about 12 months. Sam Harris wrote a book. Christopher Hitchens wrote a book. Uh, Richard Dawkins wrote a book. Daniel Dennett wrote a book. Book after book after book. And these books were different. Before this time, there was lots of intellectual back and forth between people of faith and and atheists, and it was usually cordial, and it was intellectual, and it was respectful, but these books were different. They were petty. They were caustic. They were mean-spirited. They unashamedly made fun of people of faith. And not only that, they they were dishonest and really scholarly weak. And what was interesting was the culture gobbled them up. They were bestsellers. And I remember thinking, what's happened in our culture? Some people said it was a result of 9-11. That might've had parted to do with it. Some people said it was a result of Christians behaving badly in our culture. That probably had something to do with it. But there was something else going on. Underneath the surface, a stream under the surface in our culture where suddenly God was socially unacceptable. And so it was okay to read a book where people made fun of other people of faith. And you say, why are you talking about this, Pastor? Let me tell you why I'm talking about it. Every single month, I meet someone who's come to our church, invited. And, and, they, and they always say the same thing. And maybe I'm about to describe you. And if I am, I hope I'm describing you. They say, man, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought, you know, I've heard so many things about Christians, so many things about the church, so much horrible. I was, I, I, I've turned down invitation after invitation. It's socially unacceptable to show up at a church. I mean, I've heard it all. And then time after time after time, people say, this place is not at all what I thought it was going to be. My gosh, I've been loved here. I've been treated graciously here. I've been invited to people's homes for dinner here. Amazing. 
And so now I'm talking to, to you. Maybe for you, you're, you're new and you're thinking, for me to become a Christian would be so socially unacceptable in my life. Can I tell you something? Oh, I am so glad you're here. Do you know how welcome you are here? We love you. We want you here. Amen? I got a letter two weeks ago that touched my heart from a woman whose life, she, her life, she had the hardest year. She was afraid to come to church. She showed up. It was one of these stories. She gave me permission to read part of this. I'm not going to, she, she didn't want her name shared, but she just basically said, what I received over the past year was so much more than I ever could have hoped for. There were not only prayers and encouraging words, there was action. River West stepped in to be the support system that I didn't have otherwise. You helped meet not only my spiritual needs, but the physical and emotional needs as well. More importantly, you accepted me where I was. You made me a part of the family. The church became my safe space. Regardless of how hard and dark things got, I knew that when I entered the building, I was entering a space where I was loved and accepted and would be given hope. Amen. And so welcome here. If that's you, welcome. You know, it's interesting about these excuses. One guy's going to go see a field. One guy's going to go see his oxen. One guy, all of these excuses in isolation, they're totally legitimate. None of it, nothing about any of these excuses is, is sinful in and of itself. Does the Bible encourage people in their marriages and their relationships to, to invest in those relationships, family, spouses? Absolutely. My goodness, pick up your Bible and notice how often it gives you words of wisdom for how to be a husband or a wife. Amazing. Does the Bible encourage people to work hard? to be in, have integrity at work, to do your best, to not be lazy, 100%. But what's happening in this story is that each of these people is taking a small thing that when kept small is good, and they're elevating it into an ultimate thing that gives them an excuse to neglect the most important invitation they could ever receive. And I don't know about you, but that's a temptation in our world. You say, you just described my life. I've got this small thing and I've, I'm, it's consumed me. And I've allowed it to become the most important to the, to the neglect of my relationship with my creator. Amazing. Amazing. And I think, and I think what the point that Jesus is saying is not only that, but sometimes if we're being honest, when the human heart doesn't want to deal with God, the human heart will go after those things to have an excuse not to come to the banquet. And so Jesus very lovingly says, wait a minute, do not miss this invitation. This leads me to the second, this radical reversal. Will you look back at verse 21? There's this reversal that happens. It's crazy, okay? This host how does he respond to this barrage of excuses? Does he, does he throw the food out into the front yard? Does he cry? No, he says, 
It doesn't matter. You know what? No matter what happens, we're having a party. Now, wait a minute. Friends, this is the heart of God. Rejection after rejection doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're having a party. And not only are we having a party, every single seat will be filled. Amazing. And what happens in the story is you have this group of people who come to the startling realization that suddenly they're on the invite list. And the reason why that's so beautiful is that, hey, folks, that's the list you and I are on, <laughs> right? The B list, okay? I call this sermon God's B list. It's really good news when you're on God's B list. Amen? That's the list we're on. There's this group of people, and they are startled to discover they're there. But wait a minute. There's also the first group of people who are startled at the realization of what they've missed. And there's, there's this reversal. The host said, here's what I want you to do. Go out into the streets and the lanes of the city. Do you see that in verse 21? The streets and the lanes of the city. That is code for the place where the non-elite gather, okay? The streets and the lanes, this is, this is where the non-elite are, okay? This is not where the wealthy, the whole, the beautiful, the powerful, this, this is not Whole Foods, okay? This is grocery outlet, all right? This is not club sport. This is the YMCA, or I could keep going, but I don't want to offend anybody. Okay, this is not, this is the people who are there. Look at the list. Who's there? The lame, the blind, the crippled, the poor. That list of people never made it on anyone's party invite list. No one. And what's happening is that Luke is bringing back into focus a theme in his gospel. It's one of the most beautiful themes. It's, and it's, every scholar calls it the great reversal, or I like to call it the great upside down. The great upside down of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, outsiders become insiders. And insiders become outsiders. In the kingdom of God, the first will become last. And the last will become first. In the kingdom of God, the proud will be brought low and the lowly, the humble, will be exalted. In the kingdom of God, the hungry will be fed and the poor and the rich will be sent away empty. In the kingdom of God, people who are outcasts come to the start of the realization they're no longer cast out. So important. Such good news. Because I don't know about you, but as a pastor, I'm aware of the fact that, Jesus, you're describing me. I was the outcast. I was the poor. I was the lame. Did you notice that list? We look at it one more time. Those four words. Okay, poor, crippled, blind, lame. Anybody know where that, those four words came from recently? Anybody know? 
It's in verse 13. We look at your Bible. Look what happened in verse 13 last Sunday, the end of Christopher's message. Jesus had said, hey, when you, when you give a banquet, don't go out there and invite the well-to-do, the beautiful, the popular. When you give a banquet, here's who you invite. Look at that. That is the list. The poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And what was the point in that verse? The point of it was the very next sentence. Why? You'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. People have nothing, have nothing to give in return. This is the heart of the gospel, River West. I've been invited to a banquet that I can never repay God for. And this is the heart of God. The, the, he's talking about social relationships where you get, no, you get no payback for it. Loving on and inviting and spending time with people who don't help you at all socially or repay you in any way. Friends, did you know that to invite the poor into your home or into your community or your friend group or your church, do you know that all you're doing is you're simply doing what God is doing? It's the heart of God to invite people, to welcome them in. Amazing. And then you're reminded too that all those words, poor, blind, lame, those are those become metaphors too for what sin does to us. Sin makes me blinded to the reality of Christ. I need God to open my eyes. Sin makes me impoverished. It's not just physical poverty that Luke is talking about. It's, 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 it's spiritual poverty. I have nothing to give. My, my body's broken. I'm not able to do with my body what God intended. I'm not doing what God intended for me to do. And the gospel comes in and flips that on end and I become a full participant. Amazing. And that's why my third point is about grace. So we have the typical human response. We have the radical reversal, but this is my favorite. There's this scandalous grace going on here. Look at verses 22 and 23 again. Here's what happened next. The servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done. So he went out. He went into the city He invited the blind, the poor, the lame, and many of them came. And he came back and said, what what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, okay, go out to the highways and the hedges. So this would be outside the city limits. Go out of the city. That's where the outcasts live. That's where people who are not accepted in in society live. They weren't even allowed in the city. He says, go out there too. Go to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. You say, pastor, I don't see the word grace there. Oh, my friends, this verse is dripping with grace. What do we have? We have a host who is carelessly, scandalously swinging open the doors of his home. He's not doing any background checks. He's not calling any references. He's saying, go, I don't care where you have to go. Every seat must be filled. Amazing. This is the heart of God. 
This is God's heart. That every seat at his banquet would be filled. Incredible. And the people in his in that society who had a right to be there, none of them made it. All the people who showed up at his party, none of them had the right to be there. And you know what that tells me? This has nothing to do with rights. It has nothing to do with credentials. It has nothing to do with what I deserve. I never get what I deserve. This is God's grace. And this is why the host says, you're going to have to compel them. You see that word? Verse 23, compel them. He's not saying be pushy. He's not saying force people. He's saying these folks are not used to being invited to something like this. You're going to have to convince them they're wanted. They're going to resist. They're going to say, yeah, right. Some big, fancy, wealthy guy in the city wants me at his banquet. Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. No, I'm serious. Believe me, I've been there. Compel, compel. They're thinking, I don't deserve to be there. I don't have anything to wear. Oh, what do I look like? That's what they're thinking. He says, you're going to have to compel people. On Christmas Eve, at the end of the service, a man walked up to me and he was weeping. And we had talked in that service. Our theme was, we titled the service, Is He Worthy? Maybe you remember this. And we asked one question throughout the entire Christmas Eve service. Is Jesus worthy? Is he worthy of all this attention? Is he worthy of our worship? Is he worthy of all of our focus? We, we put a lot of emphasis on Jesus. Is he worthy? And the whole service answered that question with a resounding yes, right? And it was wonderful. And this man came up afterwards and he was like, oh my gosh, I need to be here. But he said, there was, I need to tell you something too there was another question that I was asking throughout the whole service. So I wasn't just asking the question, is he worthy? I was asking the question, am I worthy? Am I worthy to be here? And the resounding answer of my heart was no. And then he just started weeping. He said, oh, if you only knew my past, my story, my history, you would never let me in your church. And I said, actually, that's true for me too, brother. (laughs) You know, the only thing you have to bring to the table of God's banquet is your hunger for God. If you come with credentials, you've already misunderstood the gospel. There's only one thing. He doesn't need you to be worthy. He doesn't need you to be qualified. He doesn't care about your references. He doesn't care about your, doesn't care about any of it. The only thing he cares about is, are you hungry for the love of God? Amen? And so I'm inviting you to the table. And here's the thing. I'm inviting every single one of you. If you came in this morning thinking, I don't, I should not be here. I don't belong here. If they only knew. Please listen to what I'm about to say to you. God has a seat at his table for you. It has your name on it. And he went to incredible expense to prepare this banquet. It cost him the life of his one and only son.
So we come to the table. And remember, it's a banquet. This little meal we're about to share is a picture of a future supper, what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we'll, I mean, this is just a foretaste of, of the feasting. And so I'm inviting you to the table. And I'm going to pray right now. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the reminder. The only thing we contribute to this moment is our desperate need for grace. Our hunger. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you for the banquet that we'll celebrate today. All the truth that's there. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for inviting us. I pray this morning for many who are here today who have struggled and resisted and maybe they're new. Lord, please, would you do just a beautiful work this morning by your spirit? Touch human hearts. Oh, how I I hope you know you're invited this morning. Pour out your heart to give your heart to Christ, to come to the table in faith. And so we thank you, Jesus. We pray all these things together in your name. Amen.